Welcome to the Greenway Outdoors podcast, your trusted source for outdoor information and entertainment. The Greenway Outdoors is also an internationally syndicated TV show and conservation advocate aimed at bringing millennials and Generation Z into the outdoors. Welcome to the Greenway Outdoors. The Greenway Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Ram Trucks, built to serve Motor Trends Truck of the Year for the third year in a row. Fast Pro Shop and Cabela's, your adventure starts here. And by Tracker Boats, fish the best. Hello and welcome to episode 68 of the Greenway Outdoors podcast. My name's Kyle Green. I'm AJ. I'm Jeff. I'm Ryan. What's up, guys? You're Hola. not going to let that go. You're going to do your full name every episode. It's called branding. You should look it up. We're supposed to maintain viewers. Not What's your brand? <laughs> slowly. What's your brand with your wrinkly shirts and your, 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 your some hair Jeff. left in you? It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't require extra branding. We're just going with our names. Jump in, Ryan. Put them down. You suck. <laughs> oh. Got him. Welcome to the Green Outdoors podcast, where we talk about everything outdoors, current events, and just really cool things for millennials and Generation Z. Although a lot of our viewership tends to skew older. I like to think it's because of my nope. um, sophisticated, worldly, <laughs> worldly <laughs> experience. Cultural. Speaking of worldly, AJ and I were looking at this article today, and uh, it showed a map of the United States, and it said, comment how many states you've been to. What do you think our number is? Because your number is probably very close to mine. Out of 50. I would say <laughs> probably I've got to be low 30s. 32. Nice. 32 was my number. Well done. Yeah. Right. What do you nice. think yours is, AJ? Yeah, I, I don't know if exact you're count. just working here. You're I'll at 25. Yeah. Just working here. You're at 25 plus. Okay, then yeah. I might be at high 30s then. Yeah, I fortunately was able to travel a lot as a kid, just like our family doing trips and whatnot. And we have family all over the country. Must be Must nice. Be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Poor. <laughs> um, I did the actually a few weeks ago. I tried adding it all up. I think I'm sitting somewhere around 40. Whoa. Yeah. Nice. And he's 12. Can you believe that? Yeah. <laughs> right. The cool 30. thing is we've hit the hardest states. Yeah, that is true. Alaska and Hawaii we hit. Yeah. yeah. I think the next hardest is Rhode Island. Yep. Rhode Island. Yeah, I don't have any interest. Or What's Ver there? Vermont. We're going to Maine. It's like, that's a cool. It's that's like another 20, hard one. 20 square miles. Rhode Ma Island. Maine we go to in September. We're going to do a black bear hunt, which I'm really Ooh. looking forward to. That'd be cool. Yeah, that should be cool. Well, Ryan, fire away, I guess. <laughs> Get it? I go and oh, yeah. Ick. So, <laughs> we had covered it a while, I think two years ago, the the wildfires going on in Australia and everything, mm -hmm. and I don't know what, what it's it? like now, all I know is that everyone's on lockdown, you're not allowed to step outside of your house. It's what happens when you give up your Second Amendment. The um, All the people in Australia turned over their guns over the last 15 years or whatever it's yeah. been. They slowly did, they gave optional gun buyback programs. That's where it always starts. Hitler did that too, actually. But they did uh, buyback programs, and then a lot of people turned in their guns, and then it slowly got more strict and strict, and then it was, give us your guns, you're going to prison. Um, so Australia, they've given over all their firearms, and now, because of that, they can't have opinions anymore. So if you go outside right now when they're on their lockdowns because of COVID, and they don't have that many cases, which is even weirder, no. if they go outside because of COVID, then they have the helicopters going over them and saying, get back in your house right now. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's crazy over there. Yeah. yeah. I think it's specific to Sydney, but yeah, yeah who cares? Yeah. Right. I'm surprised that they're like, because New Zealand controlled it really well because like they're an island. So just, you just don't let people in and then you well, they're, they're the biggest island though. And once it's there, it spreads. Yeah. Hawaii did pretty good about, they were psychos about it too though. Yeah. 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 Anyhow. So all the wildfires going on and everything. <laughs> Anyhow, seven, so unrelated. seven topics removed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, there's this interesting group of birds in Australia that, ha hear about them. <laughs> that have learned how to use fire to their advantage. There's not a lot of research behind or like like, Char like Charizard. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm saying it. <laughs> Charmeleon. Th there's not a lot of proven research behind this. It's kind of like word of mouth. Like, oh, I've seen this happen. I've seen that happen because words just finally getting out that this is a thing. And this is probably why fires get so bad in Australia. They, of the seven, 
it's like 750,000 square miles of tropical savanna. 18% of it gets burned every single year. So every single year because of natural mm. causes. So every five years, every section gets burned or certain sections burn more often. It could than be others. the same section. It could be just whenever that gro grass gro grows back, it's 18% it, of that is going to be affected no matter what. So the, the Aborigines actually brought this to modern civilizations attention they're like yeah we've seen this we've known this for years and it, they're called firehawks or an arson raptors charizard and the birds Sounds consist of cooler. the black kite whistling kite and brown falcon and what they'll do is when they when they see a fire how they originally learned this we don't know but when they see a fire they'll go to it they'll pick up a smoldering stick or a smoldering piece of grass or something and take it somewhere else and drop it and, and intentionally start a fire. And Little pyros. Yeah. And okay. then and as they're <laughs> flying away, they go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's, so. it, it's basically like that. They've learned how to use it to their advantage because what happens is once that fire starts to spread, every insect, every reptile, every, every e shrew, <laughs> every mole, <Yes>. every vole. <laughs> Everything. Everything tries to get out of the way. They're all sure. trying oh, to. So that's how they hunt. They're trying to flee the fire. So it's wow. easy meal. So they'll all gather around the fire once it's started. And then from there, it's just devour. And it's partly season. Partly cooked. Yeah. It's partly cooked. Yeah. What? I mean, you could really trick them with a Roman candle. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, all right, I got a good. Ow! <laughs> <laughs> so it's just that. Like I said, it, it's all through word of mouth. One of the Aboriginal peoples was. It sounds like an old wives' tale, but well, that's originally where it com came from. They thought it was like some sort of myth because there was paintings and artistry on rocks and stories about these birds doing this. And then in modern times, someone who's still like part of the Aborigine culture was like, "Yeah, we we've known this for a long time. I've seen it with my own eyes." Bro, we sell shirts with the picture of the bird yeah. on it. <laughs> yeah, he he and said that's where the car name came from. <laughs> Firebird. <laughs> He, uh, he he was explaining that he had personally with his own eyes seen it, a bird go to a fire, pick up the stick, fly a half mile away, and just drop it and start another fire. We should make shirts with that on it to raise awareness, and it's cool. They're, they showed some pictures in what I was reading. And you hunt these things? I mean, they're hot. Oh, you wouldn't be able to hunt them here. I don't know what it's like over there. They're like, no, don't hunt them. Let them knock out that other 10,000 acres. Yeah, <laughs> that's basically they what they'll do. That. Like yeah. when, once they're done with that spot take the stick and move to another spot and start another fire. That's hmm. savage. Yeah. So I, a piece want, of me wonders you, why, if maybe that's why the fires got so bad in Australia, because at, oh. the it, at the time, this wasn't really a thing. Like people hadn't, didn't really know that the birds were doing this. So now biologists are trying to research it, but they can't have any, they don't have any real hard evidence. They're out there with super soakers, water balloons, doing yeah. whatever they can <laughs> to take these things out of the sky. Yeah. So it's just like, they're trying to get the word out there that this is a thing, hoping someone will get footage of this happening where the bird comes and gets a stick, leaves, and someone's able to get footage of them dropping it and starting a fire and eating. So Imagine there's no actual footage? No. There's footage of them carrying sticks. But there's, there's footage, but it's blurry, and it kind of looks like a guy in a bird suit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it, it's there's some theories behind whether these birds are able to somehow start a fire. I don't think that birds really have the capability yeah, you wonder of at that. what level is it where they're like okay well this looks like a good stick let's go find a little flame over here i'm gonna take it over here now or is it like hey that like and how'd they discover it the first time that's what like, i was ow, trying to ow, research ow. <laughs> unfortunately there's not a lot of information on it i want to know wh where did this practice originally come from like how how did they it, it had it's because it's like instinct for them they just know to do it they're using tools <laughs> <laughs> yeah they might yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like Planet of the Apes. That, well, Cuckoo that's what they're... Or, or, in this case, the cuckoo's nest. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they're wondering is, are, are they able to figure out how to how to do this themselves, start a fire? Because you see other birds, they're able to, like a, like a raven, an incredibly intelligent bird, is able to figure out puzzles and do a whole bunch of different things and speak. Yeah. And some, some birds will take a stick, break it, make it a certain size, and then use it to poke holes in trees to get bugs. Right. So that, that's what they're trying to figure out now. There's just nothing about it. So if you happen to be in Australia and see birds starting fires, record it. Hmm. Fire, though? You know what I mean? Like, the, 
Well, they got to know there's a timeline on how far you can fly with it. Yep. They, like there's you get burnt once and they're like, mm. oh, don't do that again. You know. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know. Well, think about like I I thought about in the wild you have to start fire with friction because they're not going to be able to clunk two rocks together probably, no. and the odds of them getting the right rock is not likely. But a woodpecker, think about how fast their head moves back and forth repeatedly, just uh, bonking into a tree. If a bird was able to do that, dead tree. maybe they could start a fire. You never know. I don't know. Hmm. What do you think, Jeff? You buying it? I, I don't think that a bird would, through its own force, <laughs> stumble upon fire. I Now, if you said that like there's already a fire going and they just grab them or like lightning or something and that makes a fire then okay that that's what it is now that's the theory now yeah but some they're, they're taking it a step further and saying well how intelligent are these animals yeah they're intelligent enough to know that that gets them food yeah like i could i, I guess maybe i could see them like rubbing their beak up against something real fast but like that would hurt them well i, I ain't got thumbs the so way i'm envisioning two it sticks together is they just find a good area to rub two sticks together one they I, just hold it and shake I their picture head completely how big are these birds they're, they're hawks, so I would imagine. Okay, that, so they're decent sized birds. Yeah. I picture a stick already on fire that's just that's picked up. That's what I, because I, I saw some footage and it was just carrying a stick, but that's all the footage they had of it. And it was basically, it was just a small luring stick with an ember on the end. And But all, all birds carry sticks, right? For the most mm. part. Obviously, hummingbirds don't and stuff, but they make nests. So everybody, all birds of some sort carry stick-like materials or natural materials are built that they're they use their beak to build things yeah all, almost all obviously not turkeys and stuff like that but you know there are certain most of them a lot of birds do so you figure it's not it's obviously not rare or weird that they would pick up a stick um you could also see them picking up a stick on accident that maybe had an ember or something that was like you know the fire was almost out and it just had a little red coal type thing at the end of it or something and picked it up and he's like it got to him so he dropped it and then like that's where he lives so then he was hunting and he's like whoa but it's three species three different species who when they see fire they go to it and like that's what they do they just go to the fire pick up a stick and bring it somewhere and that's else confirmed her bird gang <laughs> confirmed by word of mouth and people only be, by people seeing it there's no like hard of it like video footage of someone's been like here Here's the footage of the whole thing happening. Everyone's just been like, I've seen it happen. Well, even that makes sense. So when you're out fishing and you see a group of seagulls or birds or whatever, and they're all swarming over a specific area, and you're like, oh, go over there. That's where the bait will be. And you mm -hmm. go there, and sure enough, there's a bunch of fish there. I, I, It amazed me. We moved into our new studio here in Fenton, Michigan, and in the front yard there, they were doing work on the, the, the front yard or whatever with the sign. And the very first day they came out and did – construction work to replant the the grass out there because it got all jacked up they planted the grass and within 15 minutes we had 10,000 birds mm -hmm. on our on our yeah. lawn and <clears throat> i was amazed but i'm like how were they just waiting you know yeah. what i mean like they're they just knew it was coming yeah like it's the weirdest thing that they were all just right there and mm -hmm. ready to go so it's it's definitely not a stretch to, and those are dumb little birds Hawk is much more intelligent, so it's not crazy to think of a hawk going there to eat thing. Oh, I, there's the fire. That means they're all going to be running out of there. That is zero amazement to me. Them carrying a stick, zero amazement to me. Them carrying a stick in order to set a fire, in order to grab things, that's a bigger stretch. Yeah. But there's like you could, you could see why they're capable, and you could see how those chain of events might take place. But to me, it wouldn't be like all the birds would know. It'd be like seven of them. But like more like an well, right now, opportunistic thing, not a not species. I mean specific animals. Well, there's a, this has just been a known thing for a while with the the native people. They yeah. just know that the birds do that. So if there's a fire, expect another one to start. Is they understand it? Like that's what I understand from what I read. And it's not like this one bird figured it out. It's like the species just knows that that's how it goes. Like they're, that's how you get your easy meal. They're worried about climate change down there. It turns out it's just a bunch of jerk birds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. This actually got me thinking of another story I saw online. Um, the Department of Natural Resources in Utah was dropping fish. You know, fish stocking, a lot of times they'll do it with planes. So they have a lot of remote lakes and stuff that don't necessarily have fish in them 
or not many fish. So in order to get fish to those remote lakes and ponds and stuff like that, normally they'll do an airplane drop. And there's like people concerned about it because they're like, oh, that could hurt the fish. So the Department of Natural Resources kind of like debunked that theory. Little parachutes. <clears throat> yeah. So like these <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> cutest things you ever saw. Um, and they're biodegradable and turn into uh, like little uh, plankton. Little table <laughs> napkins. Yeah, that's right. So the um, <laughs> so basically what happens is they they can't get to these lakes unless they use like dirt bikes or something like that because there's no roads or anything where they can get trucks back there and it'd be really hard and rocky on the fish and just in the in those trucks for that long so what they do is they have these planes that can fill up with hundreds of gallons of water and then they add the fish in there and then they'll fly to these remote lakes they'll fly as low as they can open up the chute and all the water and the fish fall together and a lot of people were a little bit worried about it and they're like doesn't hurt them the survival rate's really high and the fish are one to three inches, so they're smaller, so they have a lot less mass. Now, that got me thinking, like, obviously, well, not obviously. Actually, some people might not realize this if they forgot their high school education, uh, little lessons that they learned from Mrs. Stahl, shout out. Um, but basically what they would do is the, f the fall rate of the fish would be the same as, like, a human being. So a 200-pound human or a fish, they're going to fall at exactly the same rate. Uh, regardless, it's like 9.8 meters a second. So then it obviously that's so that's the free fall rate. So things fall at the same time unless there's air resistance. So like a feather wouldn't fall at the same rate because there'd be air resistance. But two objects that even with different masses will fall at exactly the same rate. So but they're just so small. So they don't have a lot of mass when they hit the water. And they said that if they dropped them straight up, they might get hurt. Some of them might get hurt, but because they drop them with water, yeah, it won't hurt them as bad. And I had trouble oh. figuring that out, though. Yeah, well, because if you like, say you jump out of a plane, <clears throat> or you just jump off somewhere high into water, if it's more than I think like eighty feet up, when you hit that water, it's like, like hitting concrete. A, a, a I've never understood wall. that. How that's the thing? Because it is because of the surface tension, but because they're dropping them with the water, I would think the water because. No fish is like directly on the bottom. So as they're dropping them, the water hits the water first. So that kind of Disper disperses well, a lot of the surface tension, allows them to. They're they're probably still jarred quite a bit, you know. But so you see like the Red Bull competitions where you have the people diving off the Flugen, huge cliffs. Flugen, hey, Flug, Flugen something. <laughs> I don't know was what you're talking about. Is it safe word? What do you want? No. <laughs> I thought it was too. The name of the, the Red Bull thing. It's a, I don't know. Something. It's like it's a German, German word or something. Anyone who jumps from a high is diving from a super high <laughs> <laughs> um, from a high whatever. Sure. What they'll always have is water being dumped into the, the, where you're landing. Really? Oh, re really? I didn't so know that, that. That's like a thing then. Yes. Yeah. It's to break the surface tension so you're not just hitting that flat surface so a lot of times when you see these competitions either they're putting water they're dumping water a constant stream of water in or it's next to a waterfall because that's just it's displacing it's the water yeah. so you can flow through it easier because if can, it's just stagnant and, and flat like a mirror it's going to be the same as hitting concrete this is yeah. what i don't get though but you're still you're not nothing stopping you're still going into the water correct though. but it's stopping you fast enough that it's almost the same as if a cement wall was stopping you as opposed to yeah, I, I actually have some, I actually have real life experience of this I jumped off a 93 foot cliff in Jamaica yep 93 was foot was it near a waterfall uh, no it was, was it in, in the ocean bay. it was a Rick's Cafe did you do the, Jamaica did you do the Vin Diesel thing where you got a shotgun with you and as you're coming down you shoot the water and then that is that a thing too it's breaking the surface it was tension. in a movie so it has to yeah. but the issue no. with, the issue with that is I guess not because that's well, here's if, if you're shooting the other way. Here's what Never I will mind. tell you though. When I did it, I uh, um, I did every. I was so worried about my um, uh, gonads and my butthole <laughs> because they said that like you can get like an enema basically. Yeah, if you don't yeah. clench. And uh, um, okay. I had I had already gone twice that day, so I didn't need to be you know cleaned out. out. <laughs> but uh, so they're like, make sure you cover your nuts and your your butt. And it was funny because our tour guide that we were with. She's like, I do not want you jumping off that. She says, nobody on this bus better be jumping off that cliff. She goes, if you do it, do the one for you people. Um, it's 40 foot. And I was like, I want to do the big one, Miss Clara. <laughs> and she's like, Kyle, 
you're going to look like your American flag. I was like, what do you mean? She goes, you're already white as snow. <laughs> and she goes, and you're going to be all black and blue, and they'll be red all over. She goes, I do not want you doing it. So I get up there, and the people there, they're like, the locals are jumping off of this same cliff that I'm going off of, and they're getting paid to do it, and I'm up there like an idiot. But then <laughs> I had hyped it up so much on the bus that I garnered a crowd watching me. So now I, you I got to do it. When I got up there, I'm like, I do not want to do. I would rather 90 feet is yeah, high. 93 feet. I'm like, I do not want to do this. Right. I do not. I changed my mind completely. Get all the way up there, and uh, I had made friends with. Uh, um, there was a couple there that we met, and they. Um, the guy was a firefighter, but he was retired. So he was like 55, and he's like, I'll do it with you. I was like, all right, let's do it. He goes, I'll go first. I was like, good. So we get up there, and the people are like, listen, man. <laughs> They're like, uh, that's not appropriation. I'm just saying what they said. Yeah. <laughs> they go, listen, man. He goes, you see that and that and that right there? I'm like, what? He goes, kind of where the water comes up. I go, I. Those little specks. I got, yeah, I guess. He goes, if you don't clear there, that's rocks. I was like. How hard do you have to? Because I'm having trouble. All right, I'll buy the insurance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having trouble lining up the angle of like, because you figure like if you threw like a ball or something off of a tall bridge or something and you did it a certain way, all you'd have to do is push it just a little bit and it would be so far away by the time it landed. So I'm like, do I only have to step off? He goes, you got to get a good jump. But I was nervous because it was like in a big cove type area. So I was like, I'm not going to get to the other side, am I? How bad would that suck? <laughs> you don't want to get to make other... it too far. <laughs> yeah. no. So he goes, no, he goes, you can't get to the other side. Jump hard. And I was like, all right, well, uh, th the firefighter does it. He jumps off nothing. And he gets down and he, he's like, I can't even hear him because it's 93 foot down and everyone's cheering and there's music. It's at Rick's Cafe, yeah. bars, yeah. The atmosphere is crazy. It's just a, like a, it's like a nightclub outside. Knowing if I died, people probably cheer. Like it was just crazy. You know what I mean? Like not, his dude, name would go up on a wall. Somewhere. I know. Uh, if I was watching me, I'd probably root against me. You know what I mean? It's God. like so. Rock, 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 rock. <laughs> so I run and jump off, and I remember like halfway down, I'm like, I gotta be hitting the water soon. I'm like, come on! Like it was like your adrenaline's probably through the roof. Yeah, it was. It was a long enough fall. It was the same exact feeling that you get on a roller coaster, except mm -hmm. you're not actually safe. Yep. <laughs> you know, because yeah. a roller coaster, you can pull yourself together and be like, you're fine. Mm -hmm. That kid in the front row is doing it. You're fine. Yep. But here it's like there's things to remember. So I'm like going and I'm just watching the rocks across from me just go past me, you know, as I'm falling. So it's like because it's a cliff and closer. And closer. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> and I'm just watching. Them. I'm like, please let this just be over with. Like, this is miserable. And then half a second. Finally, <laughs> it felt like an hour though. You yeah. Know? And yeah. I had long enough to be like, why is this not over? You look down, you're like 20 feet down. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, um, so then as I started to get close to the water, I remember looking down and knew I was there. And I grabbed my nuts and my, uh, uh, covered my butthole with my hand flat. And, uh, um, I hit the water. I forgot to point my toes. Ooh. Ooh. So my feet hit flat. I had already be, I was already stung by a sea urchin on my foot two days prior from chasing this fish. Won the bet, though. They bet me I couldn't catch a fish with my bare hands. So there was a bunch of bunch of sea anemones. So I would chase these minnows into the sea anemones. Anemones? Yeah, like Nemo right yeah, now. No. And I would push them. I would push them with the current into them, and then they'd grab them. It would shock them, and then I'd pull them out of there, and I'm like, caught it. So I won the bet, but I kicked a sea urchin doing it. Um, so I was all jacked up anyways, and my feet hurt so bad when I hit that water. I got out, and I had trouble walking. I lifted up the bottom of my feet. I had specks of blood all over the bottom of my yeah. feet mm -hmm. from like broken capillaries. Yeah, yeah. I, wow, I, that's high. Yeah, thirty feet's the highest I've ever cliffed over. And that thirty feet feels like a enormous thing. It really does. Mm -hmm. uh, that they say, as far as the surface tension thing goes, that when you're landing like a seaplane with the pontoons on it, it's it's far easier to land a plane on slightly wavy water. Versus like glassy water, you would think you want, would want the flattest yeah, landing surface, like ground, like a right. runway. Right, <clears throat> but the issue is when it's glassy like that, you, what you tend to do is you just skip across it. it, yeah. it it's not, oh, it it's not absorb sucky. you. It doesn't absorb you, so you want the waves to break that surface tension, so the pontoons will get down into the water. Otherwise, you just skip across it, yeah, okay. and then it takes way longer to land. You see that uh, water skiing when when people go, and if if they'll if they hit like a wave, and that's what makes them drop, they'll hit the wave and just you can't see them anymore. But if they're coming on a turn, 
and they lose like lose hold of the rope and then go across see him for a minute (laughs) watch him go yeah like skip like a rock yeah you're thinking of tubing not skiing either that either way no he yeah he's fast enough yeah or it's the same thing as like you see these professional jet skiers who have they'll be doing flips and stuff they're using i'm on a boat they're using their own wave <laughs> to flip. do the flips and all the tricks and everything. And yeah, yeah. Uh, if they were just did a flip and landed on flat water, it would be like land, like just landing on the ground. They would just smash their face into oh. it. I guess I do feel like I understand it. Like imagine, so like imagine you're falling and you're gonna hit the water. Would you rather hit the peak of a wave where it's like a big triangle and you're like breaking a smaller section of water and then it's slowly becoming bigger? But when you hit back smacker flat that's no good yeah so it kind of makes sense avoid that it's the same reason why a dive doesn't hurt but a belly smacker does yeah 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 that would be a good way to put it where Uh, were you 10 minutes ago with that one it's perfect (laughs) the another thing that i've heard about like surface tension and the way water works and everything is it like say the tight on the titanic the ship was sinking you when the ship is sinking you never forget you want to get as far from the boat as possible, as quickly as possible. Because pull you down. What ends up happening is that boat will flip and l- release all that water. And it's what it's doing is creating a cavity in the water that you'll just fall straight through the bottom of because gravity's still on you. So mm-hmm. you'll fall through that bubble and you'll be, before you know it, 50 feet down. Instantly. And then you're in, in, in the water. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah, that's like um, I believe in the movie Titanic. They were saying like, get the, get the, get away from the boat, get away, you know. And yeah, it'd be it sucked to be the person that figured that out and survived and had to go teach everybody else. And that's not possible, dude. That band kept playing though. Yeah, they did. (laughs) God bless them. While slowly sinking into the water. Good man. So while my story doesn't have a cool name like Firehawk or. Arsonist, <laughs> arson uh, raptors. raptors. Come on, dude. Be respectful. Got lightning arson carp gang. over here. <laughs> lightning carp's pretty good. They're not lightning carp. For, it's just for real, a lightning carp. Magic, magic carp. It's a grass carp. <laughs> Eventually becomes Gyarados. <laughs> so there is a. You need a stone, um, though. They don't run their own. There is a population of grass carp that have invaded the Great Lakes, mostly Lake Erie, and they're getting into. Um, are those the real Claire. gold ones? Which ones are grass uh, carp? They're like a greenish. I guess you could call it kind of goldish. AJ's I've pro- seen I've AJ's seen different pictures. The audience a picture right I, now. I so. think I think as they grow, their their color changes a little bit, like a lot of different fish. Um, but they have been in Lake Erie since the 1980s. Okay. And they've seen more of a population boom, so they're trying to better determine how they can, just like the Asian carp, stop them from going into other Great Lakes. So they started in Lake Erie. They're trying to figure out where they're at. The problem is, is they can't really determine like. What are their movements? What are they, you know, like, how, how do we how do we find them? How do we stop them without, you know, impacting other species? They can't do, like, a poison. They can't do anything like that. So they're trying to figure out a nice way. So they started, with the help of Michigan State, they started tagging them. They started catching them, and then they would implant, like, they'd anesthetize them and then put a, what looks like a double-A uh, battery. And they would implant that in them to track them. It's, and then it's they a, would grenade. It's a big, it's a big yeah, rope. Blows them up. <laughs> and they would use that. And they swim under that those U of M guys' docks. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they'd use that fish to then track it, see where it goes. And these fish are going like 20 miles a day or 20 kilometers a day, sorry. Um, they'll disappear for like a week at a time. They have these um, uh, like receivers that they put all throughout at least Lake Erie and Lake St. Clair to try to see where they're going. I think there's like a thousand of them or something like that. And then every time a fish comes by, it pings every three minutes or something like that. And if it hits a ping, it goes, okay, there's a fish. And then if they get several or they've been able to track its movements and see where it's going, it's like, well, this looks like a spot the- where they would conglomerate. So then they'll go out there and using those pings, go out and start catching fish there and pull up a whole bunch of grass carp because they know that they're there because that one is there. That's like the ultimate so they, fish finder. They use yeah. the ping from the tracker nice. that they've yeah. put in the fish to yeah. find the school. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Good luck Literally. beating that Garmin and Lawrence. <laughs> how, how are they catching them if it's in the lake? Um, I don't know. I, I know they've they've had. Uh, I saw several pictures where they're using like big nets 
So I think they're doing a combination of like okay. net fishing to try to catch a lot of them. I know that there was some hand fishing, but it's obviously less effective. So, um, <laughs> but they're doing several different things to try to, you know, figure out where they way they gather and then go there and catch them. Right. Because these things are huge. They they're like, they said they're the size of a small child. They grow to four foot. Jeez. Can be almost up to five foot. Wow. They're like fifty pounds. With Scott, we catch some big carp. You know how we catch them though. Like bait and reel, is we'll um we'll take canned corn, oh uh, yeah, and we'll put that on the surface, yeah, like where they're at because it's the same thing. Like they'll school up in certain areas in his lake, and uh, we'll put canned corn on, and then you get a really small hook, gold hook, and uh, you put uh, corn on it to make it look natural like the other ones. So mm-hmm. they're like coming in for the corn, and it just blends in, and they're tough to trick. They're smart, like really? they are really yeah. smart. They're tough to trick. And, um, you know, you'll see 20 of them, and you'll put the line out there, and then you'll ease away from shore and just leave it out there with a bell on. And it's like, if you get one, you're doing pretty good. It's like it's they're they're, hmm. they're tough to just catch yeah, with the rod nice. reel. Which is nuts because the ones at the zoo <clears throat> will just eat your spit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, an interesting thing about grass carp is golf courses will use them. In the ponds, though, what will happen was – the, the the banks get all overgrown with grass, so they'll raise the water level of the pond. The grass carp will come in, eat the grass. They'll lower the level of the water, and then you have a trimmed bank. Huh? Yeah, that's interesting. What? Yeah, yeah. they'll come in. They'll no come and eat, eat up the grass. You're he, positive this isn't like a story where my dad no, messed with you hey, and your dad I got was you. waiting hey, for the punchline. Yeah. He worked. He worked on golf courses. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, I just didn't know if it was like the thing like my dad always te- like tells me elaborate stories, and then I think they're real. I know if your dad we got you. Well, now you on, have me doubting. We thought <laughs> the numbers on golf balls the high, the lower the number, the better the ball. For years, my dad, my dad would say that um, when you bought bought a box of balls. <laughs> I hate that he did this to me. I just got into <laughs> golf. I was like sixteen. Okay, I didn't know any better. And he's like, "You see how they got numbers on them." He goes, the lower the number, the higher the quality of the ball. So they'll, they'll when they run them through and stuff, they'll be looking. They grade them. <laughs> they would grade them. And they sell and them then, graded. Yeah, and they sell them graded, and that's, you know. Oh, I got a box of, you know, and this is, at this point, we're looking at Pokemon cards. We're collecting cool stuff, so we're we're getting into it. We're like, oh, I got a box with all ones. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, we, we would sort through because his mom and my mom worked at the golf course. So we'd go through all the balls that they pull out of the river and that they'd find on the course and stuff like that. And I'd be like, oh, man, there's a couple ones in here. Dude, he's like, I got a double zero. I'm like, ah, I, found a, I found a pro V1, but it's a four. Just throw it back. <laughs> Don't bother. Burn it. It's barely it a sounds like they, they actually do do this with cans of tobacco, like, like dip. Like yeah. You can scratch off the side of it and it'll have a rating on it to see how the, the quality of the tobacco but that's real. The golf ball thing is not. Right. Well, my dad. No. Well, yeah, my dad did that as a prank on us, and it worked. And it worked for how I many years? That. How long that's before you figured it out? It was a couple years, unfortunately, because yeah, no one corrected us, and we, we were out telling people. So many. No, we were we were meeting and greeting and telling people that. Yeah, what, we what did they no say? They're like, okay, guy, you're bragging that you got like number no one, one balls. Qu- no people one argued us. We're on the high school golf team, and people are watching us do this and saying nothing. <laughs> The coach, I'm sure, saw us. <laughs> like, I lost faith idiots. in people. I lost faith in people from that. I really did. It was probably entertaining. Yeah. Look at them digging through the pond. I think that they probably, like, looking back on it, they probably thought that we were being sarcastic. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm an idiot. I wonder how many people think that to this day because we told them. And they're like, oh, I guess that kind of makes sense. It was like my noodling. Sure. It was like the noodling for catfish story with the eggs. It's one of my go-tos for two years. Trust isn't built in a day. It's built over time. The early hours and the late nights. It's built by doing the work and pushing the limits every day. Because the promises we make are the promises we were built to keep. The Greenway Outdoors is brought to you by Ram Trucks, built to serve Motor Trend's Truck of the Year for the third year in a row. And by Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. Your adventure starts here. If you'd like to help support the Greenway Outdoors, please like and comment on this podcast and subscribe to all of our channels. Now, speaking of big old fish, 
in North Carolina, there was two new records set in July for catfish. Oh. One for blue catfish, one for channel cats. So a guy caught a 127-pound blue catfish. Wow. 60-inch long, 40-inch girth. Caught it on rod and reel, obviously. He didn't noodle it. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, noodling, you'd just be dead. <laughs> yeah, I would have swam away with him. That's true. Yeah, Jeff, you caught one and a, one and a half times the size of the one we caught. I can't even imagine that. Jeff, you caught a ninety-plus pound one with yeah. your bare hands. Yeah, um, that was rough. Here's the thing, though, the forty-inch girth, I would not put that past yours. Yeah. No. Yeah, I would agree with that. No, holding holding it up here, it was, it was very girthy. <laughs> it's not. There's a shot in the TV show in the episode uh, on Sportsman Channel. We are at nine thirty p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturday nights. So check out the Green Bay Outdoors actual TV show there. But, and if you see this episode, you'll see there's one shot where I say to you that it doesn't even look like a real creature. It looks fake. Yeah. And you're holding this big broad. That's what we call it. That's what you call her. <laughs> um, you're holding her and she's like, you know, doing yeah. that. But doing she looks so fat. Mm-hmm. It just, it looks, it looks silly. Yeah. Looks like some kind of animatronic, like I'm I'm puppeting it somehow. <laughs> right. It just it just looks obnoxious. So this one, I can imagine. It was kind of funny though. I was reading the article and the guy goes, um, they were asked him. They're like, was was reeling it in tough? Because he did it with Ron Reel, and he's like, yeah, that was tough, but not as tough as getting this thing weighed and scaled for official reading. You know, mm-hmm. official ratings. Oh, like, I'm sure. He was having trouble like tracking down like the DNR to put it on an actual scale to get it registered as the winner, um, as the new state record and stuff. It's tough though, like. You know, we could have kept your blue cat, the one that we know it was 90 plus pounds, and that would put it in the contention for state record for the largest blue catfish caught by hand. Mm -hmm. So Jeff was in that talk, if not winner, but she was full of eggs. So we had to make a decision. Do we keep her? Because we didn't have a scale. Our scale got ripped in the water by my fish. So the scale didn't work. So the only way to know for sure is if we killed her took her away and uh because mm-hmm. it seems no- like a shame because you're not really going to eat a fish that big no 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 you get her mounted yeah but she's also full of eggs you could also just take a mm. picture and then they could no nope. do a recreation can't do that <laughs> can't do that which we found out it is it is possible and they can do it well can't do that uh but <laughs> i won't do it i think you nope. need the real nope. fish nope yeah <laughs> it's got to be the real fish but anyhow to take a fish full of eggs that's probably 60 years old yeah. that did all these, you know, lived this awesome life. And now you're going to kill her just to go get a record. I'm not bashing the guy for doing it. I just feel like letting it go is probably the better option. Yeah. yeah. So so by by him waiting for it to be weighed, it probably died. Oh, oh, oh for yeah. Sure that fish okay. long yeah, yeah. yeah. So his and I'm not putting him down for it. So I don't want to be misconstrued that way. And he, I'm sure he's going to get it mounted and might even eat it. I wouldn't. But uh, do you know what the previous record was? No, I don't. I just know that 127, and I know that I want to say Texas is in exactly the same ballpark, like 117, 120, somewhere in there that as well. That's crazy. So we are right there in the in the weight category for sure. The length on it was 60 inches. I don't have a Jeez. reference point on that, but I feel like yours was at least that because my sturgeon was 72. Five, five feet? Yeah, five foot? I don't think that thing was five foot long. I feel like if you went like this, it would have been that long. You know what I mean? Like if you went yeah, like that, don't you? Probably. Yeah. I think it might have been longer. Yeah, and to take that angle, you look that at that end. one angle where he's got it like this. I or even look at any of the pictures. It's laying across three people. You're yeah. gonna tell me it wasn't that long? True. Look how wide your lap is. You got thick thighs, <laughs> gorgeous. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, I, I just I think ours was that big. Yeah. I don't know about the weight. Yeah. And you're definitely not saving it. There's no live well that will hold that fish <laughs> for you to take it in, weigh no. it. And then release it, almost it later. Did, it almost didn't fit in their boat. It looked like a shark sitting in the back. It looked so <laughs> right. silly. Now, the channel catfish is kind of interesting, too. Obviously, channel, catcher, channel cats are a much smaller species. So that one was 26 pounds, and it was 38 inches long. So, hmm. boo. That's yeah. the record. That's impressive. That's the record. And that record actually been up for the last 50 years. Wow. Yeah, it, five decades. You would, it took you to beat that. Enough. Sometimes I wonder. You noodle a channel? Or we'll... Nope. Ain't never done that in my life. I don't even know that people noodle channels. I'm sure they do. I bet North Carolina is a tough place to noodle because they got alligators. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so does Texas. Yeah. I mean, you know whether they're in the – I guess, but I would – you get far enough north in Texas, you know you're not going to run into alligators. 
you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that, that, that's when you risk it because you know and yeah. you don't know. Don't worry. You'll be totally fine. You know until you don't know. Exactly. <laughs> this last topic, I have absolutely no notes on. I just wanted to discuss it, and I just wanted to break it down. Open, open forum. Open forum. Okay. So, AJ, I know you don't do a lot of duck hunting, so I'll kind of break this down for you. Okay. Ducks migrate from north to south, obviously, um, and there's different flyways where they're more consistent and they're bigger groupings, and they like to fly in groups, and they migrate as their summer grounds in um, the north is where they do all their eating and living in their summer grounds, uh, Canada, you know, all the way up there, north. Mm -hmm. As that gets cold, they get pushed down farther and farther and farther. Now, once they get pushed all the way down to where they're going to be, now in their summer ground, by the way, is where they have their babies. So that's where they do all their nesting. So they do all their nesting there. The babies are born. They normally become full-grown Depending on where it is, you're looking at May and June is when they're born, and then they're full-grown by October, if you can believe that. They're adults. It's very strange to me. But at that point, they start to make their migration down because everything starts to freeze over. The water starts to freeze over. They can tolerate really cold water, so normally they won't leave until it's frozen. However, there's the species kind of kind of move in, you know, they, they move at different paces. So... Different species tend to migrate earlier, and so on and so forth. So uh, the the earliest one that everybody seems to know, and it dictates different seasons often, is the teal. So the teal is the smaller smaller of the duck species. Um, not a ton of meat on them. Uh, Flavor-wise, I'd give them a 7 or 8 out of 10. I think they're pretty good. I think I used to label them a 9 so many people told me that they didn't taste good that I, I'm, I'm saying eight, but I think I still mean nine. I don't, okay. I've always thought they were pretty good. I didn't think people call them like skunky and stuff. Like anything else, it's all mm. in how you cook, prepare yeah. them. So there's, there's small guys. I bet a lot of people just overcook teal because they're so small. So you get Probably. some, yeah. So, I mean, the meat you get out of them it, it isn't much more than you get off of a dove. I mean, they're small, oh, they're small, the, yeah, small wise, but they're, they're good eating and, um, they're a prominent duck that Jeff and I have killed our whole life. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> a lot of states and now Michigan have an early season for them. And the early season will normally be seven days. It might be 14 days. Just depends on where you are. I believe in Michigan it's something like seven or ten days. I think so, yeah. So, and it's um, it's much earlier than the regular duck season. It's normally September 1st through the 7th or the 10th or the 15th or somewhere in their ballpark. They can change it any year. So they release the, the numbers. That reminds me. we got to get in the duck draw. We do. Got yeah. until the 28th. Okay. So AJ can't wait uh, for us to not get picked um, for the managed wall- waterfowl areas in here. Pick um, a snickle fritz spot because we didn't get a draw, and then we're out there. It's raining. We don't know where we're going. We're in the dark. He's like, "What? We do this every year. Why are we doing this? <laughs> we know better." So anyhow, he's gonna get the flu this year. <laughs> he's like, I don't "Oh man, I'm sick." Ryan's got it. <laughs> um, but anyhow, so these birds migrate first. So because of that, that dictates normally an earlier season for them because a lot of the migration would go by. So when, like here where we're at, it's normally the second Saturday in October is when our opening day is in the South Zone of Michigan. A lot of the teal have already gone through, so you didn't get to hunt them. So, you know, opening day, you see a lot of teal normally, you know, in early October. That's like early October. A lot of... Pluck of teal. Low. A lot of teal... <laughs> They look like little blue fighter jets. They move so yeah. fast, so quick. They're so Zoom hard. Yeah. And the whole group too is like. Yeah, they're they're on pace together. Fascinating bird. Yeah. And then normally we shoot wood ducks early as well. And then uh, later on in the season you start to see uh, more mallards and then more diver ducks, which is your redheads and your you know spoonies and stuff like that. So that being said, the early season. So breaking that down. There's people on both sides of the aisle that argue this point. Should there be an early season for them? Now, here are the cons that a lot of people say no, because obviously I've given a good case for why you would have them, right? Clearly. So the cons are this. They believe that a lot of people will make poor bird identifications. So a fast-flying bird is hard to identify. To me, a teal is one of the easier ones to identify, but birds are hard to identify when flying. I remember when I first started duck hunting and I would see flocks and flocks of birds and be like, oh, you know, people I was with that knew what they were doing, like, that's a bluebill, that's a this, that's a I'm like, you're going, that's a duck. <laughs> I think that one's a duck. That one, is that a duck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's how it is when you first start. And now 
you get used to how their wings flap. The you pick up the colors, the subtleties of how they move, and you start to learn their behaviors. And like I said, teal tend to move in groups, and you know these different things. Um, so your identification becomes a lot better. But a lot of people aren't. So the worry was, especially for wood ducks that are here early, um, that it would there'd be a lot of wood ducks killed early that aren't supposed to be. And, and then you've got resident ducks too that just stay here because they have access to a food source for the majority of the year. Sure. Some, some don't migrate as much. So, and then that being said too, is another con is the managed waterfowl areas, for instance. So when we didn't have the early teal season, when you would go to a managed waterfowl area where you would get in a duck draw to get a zone, these are normally the best areas in Michigan we're talking about. I think there's seven of them. The wetland wonders, you go to these different areas and it's the best duck hunting ever. You get in a lottery draw, you get a zone and you get to go out and hunt that area. Opening day, it was magical because those birds had never been shot at. Because the young of the year, you know, you got a mom and a ba dad, and then you got the young, which might be like seven, five, you know, just depends on the clutch. But I don't know if two thirds of the birds that are going to be there have never seen a duck hunter before, right. have never seen a decoy before, and it's oh, okay. opening day is like a shooting gallery of heaven. And the ones that have, it was a year ago. They don't have that. You know, yeah, they haven't been pressured recently. They don't have the memory to like, oh, no, i got to stay away from that because I remember that. You know? So that's the benefit of opening day. I have noticed greatly that with the teal season now, that opening day gorgeousness has is, is gone away. You know, the, the numbers aren't the same on opening day. Um, the, you, you've noticed? The, oh, yeah. Oh, substantially. So the change in... The, the bird's behavior, the education, those things changed. And uh, um, on top of that, there's a youth season that's before the regular opener now, um, which that's always kind of been the case but hasn't been used as much. But between the youth season shooting at them, and they open, I believe, the managed waterfowl area for the youth season, mm -hmm. and they open it for um, the, the teal season, you know, all these zones are getting pressured, all the shooting that goes on. Wood ducks especially will not stick around for any BS. As soon as you start shooting in the area, they're gone. See ya. Yeah. I'm my, I'm gone. I'm. They have zero tolerance for that. So uh, from a temperament standpoint, obviously, like if you go shoot a pond up and come back two weeks later, yes, there could be wood, wood ducks there. But I'm saying like normally their behavior tends to be like, See you're ya. not going to sit there and watch them no. come back. Yeah. And if, if you don't believe me or if you're one of the expert hunters that want to argue with me, go hunt opening day and then go hunt the second day and tell me if you can tell the difference and i bet you will be able to you know what i mean it's 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 that clear so i guess what i wanted to discuss was like i saw people online arguing about whether there should be an early teal season or not obviously i'm an advocate anytime the more time you can spend in the field the more time you can go hunt i want to go you know what i mean i want to go potentially um, selling more licenses is good um i i don't know that they would i think the people that buy the duck license would anyhow but um I just I think it kind of it's almost like opening a couple Christmas gifts early. Yeah, you know, well put. You know what I mean? Like I I like the idea of opening it. I get you know it's that excitement of getting them all at once. And granted, you know though the opportunity cost of not having it is having a lot of the ducks migrate through that you didn't get a crack at. So there's that point too. I'm a little undecided on it. I guess I would just like it to be based on the science. Um, so when they first did the season. They, they said we're doing a trial. I think it was a two-year period. I Don't quote me on that, but I think it was two years. And they said, we're going to see what the wood, wood duck numbers do after two seasons based on this early teal season, meaning we'll see if you idiots nice. can see what you're if shooting it at. Negatively impacts yeah. them. Yeah. And it didn't really. So they kept the season going. So that being said, it is rolling. I, I'm okay with it. Um, but I like opening day doesn't have the same excitement. But it is cool I get to hunt earlier. Yeah. A lot of mosquitoes September 1st, though, I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. And those swamps. Ugh. You know what would be cool, kind of cool to see is do the early season, and anyone can go. But you have to bring someone under the age of 18. So you're almost doing a youth hunt. But you can hunt also as long as you have, you're bringing somebody, getting them into it from a younger age. What do you think the benefits are? getting someone into it from a younger age and you get to hunt you get to go enjoy it just bring someone with you so you're integrating them you're integrating them into this experience hmm. because you'd have i bet you would see a lot more kids out there 
if you did a youth hunt that was allowed the adult to also hunt. Yeah, you, yeah. you like see guys with white vans and candy to like, hey kid, you want to go hunting? Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. We need you today. There's just more incentive to bring do yeah. a youth hunt and actually bring kids. Otherwise, if it's just a youth hunt, you have a lot of dads out there who are like, I don't really care. They don't want to do it that much. I don't care if they don't want to. Right. Yeah. But if they have the opportunity also to, they're gonna be like, let's both go do this because this is gonna be fun for both of us. Right. And you you don't have as much pressure because not everyone's going to so be able to bring a you're kid. You're proposing for the early teal season an expansion of the youth season. Um yeah. It's like like the the middle ground of you have youth season and just regular season, but then you have this middle ground where you you can both enjoy it as long as you're both there. Right. Hmm. Well, ever since we've been filming or trying to film the duck episodes, <laughs> the popularity has never been higher. It's always it breaks the prior year's attendance yeah, yeah so would the early season add to those numbers or with it being so popular right now quote unquote are those early season numbers well the early season's been in effect for the last three years so what you've seen on the opening day of the regular season with the numbers growing i think would just equate to um covid getting more people outdoors and there's a we're seeing an increase in duck hunters in michigan we are any way you cut it. I mean, it's overall, you know, um, Well, you said that you've sales. never not been drawn until we started trying. Right. Well, that, it's that's it. filming luck. We know how that well, goes. Well, on top of that, I think it was also that more people have discovered where the where we go when we don't get one of the, the you know, ticket draws. I'll tell you, though, the, the ticket draws are the perfect – if you want to have your thumb on the numbers from new people getting into hunting – the draws are the place to go for it because the biggest problem a duck hunter has when he first starts is, well, where do I go? 100% that's the biggest problem. So by having the opportunity to say, okay, where do I go? Oh, this managed waterfall area, you just go there and get in a lottery and they'll give you a zone and you just go there and you know there's probably going to be ducks. Mm -hmm. That's like gold to them. So I think there's more people getting into hunting that don't yeah. know where to go. So they go to the managed waterfall draws. I think yeah. that's a genuine thing in Michigan. Especially in the last, last year, there has been a marked increase in hunters in Michigan during COVID because y you can't do the normal activities you like. So right. that's available to you. So now I'm, I'm going to go fishing because that's all I can do. It's either that or sit inside. But when you think about it, then, I mean, by this, I got to look it up. I don't know what the numbers are, um, but we have to look up and see what the seasons are this year for duck hunting because I'd be... Even even before COVID, though, there was more people than there were spots. Correct. Yeah, and it wasn't always that way. And I remember. Yeah, I remember. I remember going to opening day to Point Mouillet, the managed waterfowl area there. And when I would go there, they would have it. <clears throat> some lotteries have lotteries to get in the lottery. So on opening day, <laughs> so you have to win a lottery spot in order to be guaranteed a lottery spot at at a managed waterfowl area. Point Mouillet was kind of like the best kept secret where it didn't have that. But it only has like 20 zones, but there was always like 20 parties on opening day. And mm -hmm. then during the rest of the season, there might be 12. Last year, there was like 44. Yeah. So it was mm -hmm. like, it, you know, it's just it just keeps getting more. So half the people that go there won't get a spot on opening day. So then it's like, oh, I don't want to do that then. I don't want to go do there. Do all the prep and not even get to go. Yeah. Well, Ugh. that's our life always. So <laughs> yeah, we've. That's all I know. It's funny. When we didn't film, I got drawn twice on opening day. Mm -hmm. Spot one. First. First. Yep. Yep. We've been picked more almost last, which is a shame because if you get last, you get a mug or a cup or whatever. Yeah. We've consistently nice been drawn like second, second, to, second to, last. to last. Well, it's, so it's the we worst. Did, one time we did get drawn no, yeah. last, and they that was the first year they stopped doing the prizes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget that. I go to AJ. Uh, we're, fil we're filming, and he's got the camera on me and stuff, but I'm kind of like talking to him kind of like, once in a while, you know, we talk to the cameras on the main TV show. So I was like talking to him and kind of talking to the camera and uh, they're going through the numbers and I go, well, now we got to just hope her last because then we'll get at least get a mug. And they oh, were like nice right. stainless steel mugs. Yeah. And then AJ, I remember him chuckling at it. So then they, they, they like go through and sure enough, out of the 40 parties there or whatever it was, we were dead last. And I go, I walk up on camera proud and I go, <laughs> well, at least we get a mug. And the guy goes, all, we stopped doing the mugs this year. <laughs> and AJ just lost. <laughs> if there was a table, he would have flipped it. AJ just lost it. But it's like 4.30 in the morning. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we'll still be able to pull it off. But 
We'll see what happens. Did we try going last year? No, we went to Pete's instead. Shot one no. wood duck. So now we, oh, that's right. Because now I refuse to go. See, if we win, let's say we got we put in at Harson's Island, and we can put in for all of us. Let's say at Harson's Island we get drawn for the draw. Mm-hmm. That means that they only allow like 60 groups out there, and they have 120 spots. So if we get pulled for that, then we will go. But I'm never stepping foot in a, a draw again where we don't ha- <laughs> thank, we don't have a guaranteed spot. Thank God, yeah, nice. Thank oh, God. It's like kind of funny because you guys are always like really amped about different hunting trips we go on, and when it comes to like managed waterfall draws, everyone just I hate you, Kyle. Oh, it's <laughs> the worst. It's it's got so much nostalgia though for us. Is like yeah. waking up. Jeffrey and I love it. See, the thing is, we yeah. need who electric. doesn't love getting it up at three in the morning, getting pulled over. See, I lost. We had some rough trips. Okay, <laughs> that that's where I lost the magic was when we went and made it most of the way there, and we were gonna get there like ten minutes early, and instead we had to turn around because you left your truck and your parents part in, in the driveway, and we had to go back because you blocked your dad and he had to go to work, <laughs> so we're rushing to get back in order to rush to get there in the hopes that we can do it in forty minutes, which isn't gonna happen. Yeah, and we already people were already there. We already like. We had put money into this trip already. It was, it was, it was a bad time. And I was like, I could be sleeping right now. <laughs> and this is all like before four a.m. Oh. <laughs> Gotta love it. Yeah. N- nothing was like when Jeff put us up in that hotel, though. <laughs> I'll <laughs> never forget that. <laughs> so I let Dude, the one hotel. time, one time I let Jeff be in charge of like I'm like because we're dealing with all these different things and I'm filming with the people the day before the draw. And I said, I was like, Jeff, will you put AJ, just get a hotel for AJ and Ryan so that they can stay somewhere close. Yeah. And they don't have to drive back and forth because we can just stay with our parents because yeah. they live close. Well, so, the funny thing is, is like I'm looking for a place. I find a place that's relatively close. I pick the highest rated place that's that close. And no, that's, that was the one. No. I so know. he, he books it and it's like $139 a night. Oh, and it was then 65 Oh, God, Jeff. I didn't do hotels very often. So I didn't, you know, like. One, the, one look at this price? place, and you would have known that you would never want to step. You wouldn't even want to look at the place. So then Jeff goes, or um, we'll one of you, that one of, one of you said to me, "You're like, I'm going somewhere else." So <laughs> yeah. I don't, you know. And I we we got to the hotel, and me and AJ walk in, and we're like looking at this place. One, it smells. It smells awful. It smells like mm-hmm. cigarettes and cats, mm-hmm. and shame and divorce. <laughs> and divorce. <laughs> it smells. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is a place that charges by the hour, or by by oh, the week, no. or by the month. First yeah. of all. You're leaving out the fact that for 50 cents, your bed can vibrate. And you're taking that out. You're, <laughs> just, you're just ignoring that fact. Yeah. Okay. So first, the place was disgusting. Two, I'm not kidding you. I have pictures of it if I can find them. Oh, that's There right. were holes in the wall. Holes in the wall that were... I have to imagine it's bullets. <laughs> oh I'm God. not even kidding you. I'm not kidding There's you. There's eight of them. They're about this big. <laughs> Taylor. And they came they went from the room next door into our room. <laughs> and so I I walk out of our room because it's like a motel setup, so you get to it from outside. I go over to the other room. The other room is padlocked shut. That's so you right. have to imagine That's a right. crime took place. What led to that? So anyhow, for another ten dollars a night, yeah. you guys booked another hotel that wasn't I don't even I didn't It was even, fifty yards away. Right next door, and really? it was nice. Best, it was it Best was, Western. It was a good one. It was a great huh. hotel. Yeah, it was awesome. For too bad they don't have breakfast at three thirty a.m. But it was nice. Right. <laughs> I well, I had gotten. We had brought all our stuff in. I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. And I brought all my stuff back out to my car, and I was gonna sleep in the car. Yep. I, I <laughs> and, the, and the lady at the desk was like, Yeah, it's not for everybody. She yeah, literally no said kidding. that. She, she knew. She knew. She was talking the place down. It's condemned. Yeah. It's for no one. <laughs> She's like. <laughs> She'd rather have you just leave now than have to deal with you later. Exactly. Yeah. On that note, I'd like to thank you for tuning in to episode 68 of the Green Outdoors podcast. You know, we do have a regular TV show as well. Check it out. It is on Sportsman Channel, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Saturday night. So check it out. Uh, it's a good Saturday night, date night, fun thing to do. Set your DVR. Yeah, just set your DVR. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can watch it that way. You don't. You don't gotta make it. Your we still get the numbers, so yeah, it's yeah. Fine. <laughs> as long as they watch it within six days of setting the DVR, right. so make sure you do watch the show. <laughs> then also we have our Huntcast and Quick Trip secondary TV show on Carbon TV, as well as our YouTube channel. We also have a library of how-to videos, and they just keep getting better and better. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really exciting. We just had a new one come out that's about 
how to shell a crab, but it's Dungeness crabs, and there's some really funny facts in there it, as well. It pretty much applies to any crab, from my understanding, too. Yep. So. so check out our how-to video series on YouTube as well. And then last but not least, check out our merch, thegreenmayoutdoors.store. And uh, thanks so much for tuning in. We will see you next week. Green Me Outdoors Podcast. Stay green. Thank <laughs> you.